It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. Happy Easter weekend. It looks like the spring turkey season is going to be pretty good in Missouri when it opens up on Monday. That's my guess based on the results of the two-day youth turkey season that occurred there last weekend. According to the Missouri Department of Conservation, youth hunters harvested 2,881 gobblers. And considering there were some 3,000 kids out hunting, just about everybody harvested a bird. Turkey season has opened in a number of states around the nation, from Washington and Oregon in the northwest to Illinois, Iowa, and Kansas in the Midwest, and to Florida and Alabama in the southeast, where turkey hunting has been going on for some time and will actually be closing soon. The sport of turkey hunting has really grown in recent years, and for good reason. Turkey populations, generally speaking, have been on the rise across much of the nation, and it doesn't take a huge monetary investment to get into this sport. Just some camo clothing, a shotgun, which you might already own as a bird hunter, along with a decoy or two and a call, and you're all set for a morning of hunting. It also helps that those gobblers taste pretty darn good, too. Want to find out more about turkey hunting and take the plunge into the sport? Check out your state Fish and Game Agency website, and also check out the National Wild Turkey Federation website, which is chock full of information about turkey hunting all over America. You'll find that website at nwtf.org. That's nwtf.org. This Easter weekend, we've got some great guests for you on America Outdoors Radio. In fact, we've got not one, but two guests who will help you catch more walleye this spring. And as good as these fish eat, who wouldn't want to catch more of them? The first guest who you'll hear from in just a minute is Brett McComas from Target Walleye, who will tell you about how certain bass lures work really good for catching walleye. Our second walleye expert, that would be Mike Frisch. He's the host of the long-running TV show, Fishing the Midwest. He's going to take a deep dive into jigging up walleye this spring that should really up your catch rate. We've got other fishing in store for you, too. That would be striper fishing, and we're not talking about striper fishing off the East Coast. It's happening right now on the Sacramento River in California. Dan Ponciano is a well-known fishing guide who has been putting clients onto striped bass for years on the Sacramento River every spring, and he'll tell you exactly how he's getting it done. On a related note to fishing, our friends at Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska are looking for some seasonal help. In particular, they are on the hunt for an experienced charter boat captain, and you don't have to have experience fishing in Alaskan waters to succeed here. As a matter of fact, two of the longtime charter boat captains at the lodge call Florida home and do their charter fishing there for over half the year. So, if you're an experienced charter boat captain or no one who might be interested in working in a beautiful setting, go to the Sportsman's Cove Lodge website. You'll find it at alaskasbestlodge.com and go to the contact us page for this job and other well-paying seasonal positions open right now at Alaska's Best Lodge. That would be Sportsman's Cove Lodge. 
Last but not least this week, John Gale with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers will tell you about a bill about to be signed into law that will be very helpful to outdoors enthusiasts who recreate on public land. It's called the Mapland Act, and it's going to update and digitize maps to help you find and access the public lands across our nation that belong to you and me. Throw in news about another state record fish, and we've got a great show coming your way. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we got Brett McComas on the line. He's the man behind Target Walleye. And I'll tell you what, when I get a newsletter from Target Walleye, I read it. And I get it twice a week, and you can get it too. Just go to TargetWalleye.com and sign up. Doesn't cost a thing to get great information about walleye fishing in your inbox every week. Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I had to reach out after I read your latest article about bass lures for walleye. And one (laughs) in particular really jumped out at me, the chatterbait. Now, the chatterbait, if you don't know, folks, it's a bladed jig, and it gives off a a fair amount of action. It's actually a reaction bait. And I discovered it this spring for bass fishing. have had some success with it, getting really uh, a lot more confidence with that as a bait, Never even occurred to me to use it for walleye. Go ahead and tell our listeners more about this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in that write-up that we had put out, we were chatting with Dylan Newsbaum, a up-and-come, well, he's already up and showed a walleye pro. And the thing with chatterbaits, I mean, walleyes love vibration and flash. And what puts out more vibration than a chatterbait? And it's just kind of fascinating, the whole bass fishing for walleyes idea I mean, it clicks for me because I grew up bass fishing, and I caught probably more bigger walleyes when I was a bass fisherman than now that I'm a walleye fisherman. (laughs) So it's so interesting how those techniques don't really get used a lot in the walleye world, but they can really shine. And the chatterbait, like I said, the vibration, you can cover water, you can use beefier gear and get those fish in the boat versus letting them drag you around and uh, eventually a, a line nick or they shake off or something. And it's just interesting that it gets overlooked and anybody that you talk to who's thrown a chatterbait for bass around up here in the midwest uh, they're like oh yeah caught two or three walleyes last week fishing for bass on it and i know from my own personal experience it seems like every time i commit to chucking one all day for largemouth same thing i get two three walleyes and uh, not even fishing walleye spots and they're always better than average fish which kind of seems to go with any bass fishing for walleye technique it's either going to be those really big unders, which are great tournament fish, 18, 19 inches that are two pounds, or you're looking at like a 23 to 27 inch, your big fish, your kicker fish. And it's just, uh, I, I love the idea of it because walleye fishing doesn't have to be boring. You don't have to sit and soak a leech. You can get out and get after them. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Both my best friend and I have both caught walleye over five pounds while bass fishing using lipless crankbaits, basically a, a rattle trap or a variant thereof. And, and just listening to you, I'm guessing it's that vibration, and maybe the rattle too, but that vibration that's attracting those walleye to that lure. Absolutely. It's the, the reaction bite. You know, a lot of the times walleyes are, are picky and fussy, even on a good day of walleye fishing. So you're seeing a lot of even in the walleye world, the jig and wrap techniques and rip and wraps and snap jigging plastics. And that's just, it's forcing those fish to eat, even if they don't necessarily want to eat. That bait's shooting past their face. It's all about speed and drop rates. And uh, it gets them to pounce on it when you hit it just right. Any other bass lures you'd recommend for walleye, especially in the spring? 
Oh man, my go-to is a Ned rig and that's honestly all year round. And it, it's funny because now the last year or so, you're starting to see YouTube videos and write-ups of people using Ned rigs on purpose. And uh, it was the same thing. I mean, growing up, we called them jig worms, <laughs> you know, right. little small four to seven inch worms on a mushroom head jig. You're fishing those cabbage to coontail edges and you go out bass fishing and catch 30, 40 largemouth and four or five walleyes on accident. And eventually it's like, oh yeah, you know what? They eat this thing. Maybe I should throw it in more specific walleye locations. And I don't know, the last couple of years I've played around a lot with it and it's not just a weed line presentation and throwing it around rocks and shallow sand, especially early in the season around here. You get lots of walleyes cruising that like five to nine foot shallow sand before it dips off into water. And it, it's just killer right up until, uh, you know, when you start seeing lilacs bloom on shore, that totally coincides with the timing for the shiner spawn. And when those prey are up on the shallow sand flats too, and just a super universal technique that works all year round. And I don't know. I think you're going to start hearing about more of those uh, bassy techniques in the walleye world and they work and they catch big fish. Well, there you go, folks. Bass lures for walleye. Give them a try, whether it be a chatterbait or a rattle trap or a Ned rig and some other presentations, too. And if you want to learn more about walleye fishing and up your walleye fishing game, you've got to subscribe to Target Walleye. It's the weekly newsletter that you get from TargetWalleye.com. Just go to TargetWalleye.com, sign up. You'll get it in your inbox twice a week. And like me, you're going to get a whole education about walleye fishing that you never had before. Brett, keep up the good work, and thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Country hunters and anglers. You may have heard of us, but what are we about? BHA is the voice for your wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. From national level policy work to boots on the ground projects like public land cleanups, we work across North America to uphold the legacy of our public lands and waters, as well as your opportunity to hunt, fish, and recreate on them. Stand up for public lands and waters and become a BHA member today. Visit backcountryhunters.org. In today's news, I'm cooking a brisket. Let's go to Jill at my house to see how it's going. This is your house and you brought me and the crew to check on your brisket? That's correct, Jill. How's it looking? This is a Camp Chef Woodwind Wi-Fi. You know you, you can check your cook right from your phone, right? I didn't know that was an option, Jill. Well, never mind. But before you leave, can you feed the dog? What? No, no. When we get back, why is my check engine light on? The answer may shock me. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop 
or a manual sharpener in the field. WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting goods stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Dan Ponciano on the line. He is a well-known fishing guide. A lot of folks know him from his time on the Columbia River, bordering Oregon and Washington. But a lot of folks also know him as a great guide to go fishing with for striped bass on Central California's Sacramento River. And that is our topic today. Dan, great to have you back on the show. Good talking with you, buddy. So let's talk here. a little bit about striped bass because most people, when they think of stripers, they think East Coast. They think about fishing for them in the surf off a of Long Island or New Jersey, and you're catching them out there in the Sacramento River. Yeah, the East Coast is definitely a, a great fishery, but the, the Sacramento River, shoot, I grew up in Willows, short distance from here, and we've been fishing them for as long as I can remember. I've always had that opportunity to run out in the river and get striped bass in the springtime. You can actually catch them a large part of the year, but the springtime, like right now, is, is peak time for the, the schoolies to come up following the big hens to, for the spawn. And so you can get some pretty active stuff. We're targeting smaller fish and males. The females, we, we generally let go regardless of, of size. But when you catch a big one more times than not, that is a female, and, and we like to let them go when we can what is considered a big fish that an angler might catch on the Sacramento this time of year? And what's an average fish? Well, what we're catching daily is, you know, fish three to five pounds. And uh, legal is 18 inches. And, of course, you like them 24 to 28 inches long. And then uh, a male, or when you start getting into the, to what I'm calling a big fish, it's really anything over double digits is a nice one. Last year, we caught three fish that were over 40 pounds. Oh, man. And uh, I don't know what was going on with the whole deal last year, but I certainly wasn't the only guy. There was lots of guys catching big fish. And truly big stripers. I mean, you crack in the 30-pound marks, a darn big one. But there was, gosh, I bet there was at least 12 to 15 that were in that 40-pound range, buddies that caught them and other guides and, and all of the above. So for whatever reason it was, even with a low-water year, there was a lot of big fish caught last year, and it's starting out that way this year. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, the Sacramento River is a pretty big river, and I'm sure there are stripers distributed all the way through it, but what part of the Sacramento are you fishing? I'm fishing just out of Calusa, which is about an hour north of Sacramento. And then the the river really winds up and down through there, which it's pretty snaky and as far as the, its characteristics moving up river. The further you go up from Calusa, the more structure you have. You have you know almond trees that have been washed down into the river in in high water stuff and fairly tricky stuff as far as making sure you're not running over a tree or hitting the sandbar that kind of thing. But it's not super dangerous by any means it's just kind of fun to run and, and learn the little channels and this and that and so it's one that it's not overcrowded a lot of my buddies down here you know will call a weekend a busy fishery and you get there and there's you know two rigs in the parking lot but it's, it's nothing like buoy tan or some of the bigger <laughs> what you get in the, in the 
Columbia. So it's nice. It's a it's a pretty mellow river. You know, like right now, temperature wise, we're about sixty three degrees, which is just right for the stripers to spawn. You know, there's uh, there's a little controversy with the release from the Coleman Hatchery, which is the main salmon hatchery on the Sacramento River, and just a couple of days ago, they released a bunch of smolts, and you know the, the timing is such that there's plenty of guys belly aching about the fact that you know these stripers are going to come up and eat the smolts. But right. the, the science behind it says different. You know these fish have swam together for years and years. I mean, I'm 64, and it's they've they've been here the whole time I've been here, and there's never been an, an issue to my knowledge of stripers and salmon being in the same water aside from fish talk. <laughs> well, I, and I would imagine you, more than anybody else, would know if it's an issue because you're cleaning these stripers for your clients who keep them, and you would know if you're finding salmon or steelhead smolt inside their bellies. Exactly. And it's it's a very rare deal. I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen, but for as many fish as we're catching, it, you would certainly think that there would be more smolts in the belly if that's what they were targeting or, or having an influence on. Let me ask you a question, Dan, and that's about the behavior of striped bass. Is it similar to like smallmouth in a river that they're very structure oriented or largemouth where, you know, they're keen off these like down trees as ambush points? I think it's all of the above because the stripers will move a little bit more. So you've got a fairly consistent batch of fish moving up the river. They're they're typically going to follow a great big hen. So in other words, when you catch a big striper, you know, 20 pounds and up, almost always you're going to have a few males at the net. When you go to net that fish, there's going to be other males around there. Interesting. So especially during the spawn, it's very likely that, you know, it's going to, we fish them fairly to light tackle and, uh, you know, you get that, that big hen next to the boat and it's almost every time there's a couple of nice males and they're bigger ones, you know, there's that 12, 15 pound stuff a lot of times. And so that's exciting when you're netting a fish bigger than any striper you've ever caught. And you've got a school of fish right around them that are awful, awful nice as well. <laughs> it sounds like all sorts of fun. Starting to run short on time, but I got to ask one more question. And that would be, what are you using to catch them? Are you using bait or artificial lures? We use both minnows. Golden shiners are, are probably the number one bait. And I'd say the probably the easiest you know it definitely builds your confidence running down the river with five minnows floating next to you but swim baits bigger swim baits that are popular especially in the more in the winter months when guys are targeting the big fish and just trophy fishing so there's there's really a wide wide variety of fish and and there's still a lot of guys that use chunk bait just cutting up sardines or anchovies and plunking on the bottom so it's it's really whatever you're comfortable with and what they're biting on that day all right. Well, there you go, folks. If you want to go fishing on the Sacramento River in California for striped bass, Dan Ponciano is the man to go with. How do folks uh, book a trip with you, Dan? Easiest thing is my cell, and that's 360-607-8511. Um, my webpage is columbiariverfishing.com, and email is dan at columbiariverfishing.com. All right, that cell phone number again, 360-607-8511, 360-607-8511, or go to ColumbiaRiverFishing.com to book a trip on the Sacramento River this spring for striped bass. Dan, thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Great talking with you, Sean.
Next on America Outdoors Radio, I want to let you know about a help wanted opportunity in southeast Alaska. Sportsman's Cove Lodge, longtime sponsor of our show, is looking for some help this season. In particular, they are really looking for an experienced charter boat captain with a U.S. Coast Guard license. If you might be this person, whether or not you've ever fished in Alaskan waters before, you should really look into this opportunity. Number one, you're going to be in a beautiful setting on Prince of Wales Island. You're going to be tied in with a fleet of other charter boats and captains, so so the learning curve's not going to be very steep at all. In addition to this, your accommodations will be taken care of. The food is excellent. You'll be eating the same food that the guests get to eat, and it is delicious. And last but not least, you're not only going to be very well paid, but you're going to get some great tips too. The clientele that comes here, well, they tend to be rather well-heeled and very appreciative. If you're interested in this or maybe some other seasonal work at the lodge, they also have hospitality and maintenance positions available. Go to the Sportsman's Cove Lodge website. You'll find that at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com. Go to the Contact Us page. Look for the tab where there's employment opportunities. Check it out. Get in touch with them and maybe i'll see you this summer at sportsman's cove lodge this portion of the show was brought to you by our friends at work sharp they're the fine folks out of ashland oregon who make knife and tool sharpeners that you can use whether you're hunting or fishing or camping or maybe in your shop maybe in your kitchen for all of the knives and tools you need sharpened every day when you work and play WorkSharp Tools can be found online at WorkSharpTools.com or you can find them in sporting goods stores and hardware stores all over our great nation. Just look for WorkSharp products to sharpen your knives and your tools because nothing is worse than trying to get the job done right with a dull blade. Again with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We're talking spring walleye fishing this week on the show, and that's why we've got Mike Frisch on the line. Mike is the host of Fishing the Midwest, very popular television show. He is also a guide in western Minnesota. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So just read a, a little article that you wrote about jigging for walleye in the spring and you really like to jig up walleye in the spring why do you favor this method over others like we'll say you know blade baiting or you know trolling Mm -hmm. a uh, spinner worm harness well this time of the year john a lot of the walleyes that we encounter in the midwest whether it be in a lake a river or reservoir are fish that are 
in the process of moving shallow, have moved shallow, you know, whatever the deal might be, they're going to spawn up in the shallows. And then after that, they're going to, they're going to go on a feeding binge. And a lot of times that feeding binge is, again, a shallow water bite where minnows, various bait fish, move up shallow to spawn as well. And these post-spawn hungry walleyes are right there behind them to feed. So they're going to be shallow at some point in time. And because they're on a bait fish, a minnow bite, what replicates what natural forage that they're eating better than a jig and a minnow? So that jig and the minnow thing, you know, it's something that the fish want in the spring of the year. And the other thing about it is it's a presentation that whether you fish a jig and a minnow or a jig in a plastic, which has gotten really popular, is you can put that bait, if they are up shallow, you know, I fish uh, Big Stone Lake, for example, on the Minnesota-South Dakota border. Those fish move right up on the shallow shorelines, John, in sometimes 18 inches of water. So you need to, you know, be away from those fish, obviously, and away from those shallow rocks. And you can pitch that jig in the minnow right to where those fish are at. If the fish are out a little bit deeper, let's say they're on a, a sand flat that's got some emerging vegetation, and what happens in those areas is these minnows come in and actually use those emergent vegetation areas as spawning areas. So those walleyes are going to get in there as well, and you can take a jig in a minnow. You can pitch it out behind the boat. You can use the wind to push you along or your trolling motor, and you can actually swim that jig, or like I call it, troll that jig. And those fish are a little bit deeper. If you do find a concentration in one point, you can spot lock and pitch to them. You know, so the other advantage of the jig is not only do the fish like it, it's a natural, you know, presentation to them, but it's one you can fish a lot of ways effectively based on their location in the spring, too. If you don't have bait, you mentioned plastics. What are some of your, your favorite jig combos in terms of the jig head and the jig body you like to use? Well, John, the thing about the plastic bite is, you know, this is something that I kind of consider myself an old guy now. <laughs> I'm 58. <laughs> and when I grew up, uh, my dad, my grandfather, the people that I fished, it was a jig in the middle. I mean, that was it. You know, it, we never had a conversation of what we're going to use today. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, we're going walleye fishing into spring. You're going to have a jig in the middle. I mean, it's just a thing. As plastic bait became, you know, a staple of largemouth bass fishing and smallmouth bass fishing, which, you know, we have the numbers of those fish as well. What kind of ended up happening is some of the bass guys started reporting catching walleyes on these plastics. Well, and then plastic has some advantages that live bait doesn't. Number one, you can cast it all day and it's probably not going to swing off your jig, which happens some, sometimes, maybe lots of times with a minnow. You try to make a cast and the minnow goes flying off. That typically doesn't happen with a plastic. The other advantage of a plastic is, you know, like I use a lot of the Strike King Rage Swimmer, a boot tail, you know, paddle tail style of bait. That bait, you can cast it out, you can swim it back and that um, tail on that swimmer does a great job of attracting fish. So it imparts an action that is hard to put into a dead or dying minnow, but the plastic, you know, because of its shape and design has that as well. The other advantage of the plastic is you can catch multiple fish on the same plastic. That usually doesn't happen with a minnow. So your question, again, back to that is what styles, well, a lot of the minnow imitating styles, but whether it be the rage swimmer, like I talked about, or lots of people like a fluke style, you know, kind of that split tail kind of bait. There's like the KVD swim shiner is, is another paddle tail type bait that works good. You know, so a lot of the bass style baits that are in that three to four inch range with a swimming tail, a boot tail, a split tail, whatever it might be, all of those are options, you know, and 
again, a lot of the baits that we're using are baits that were kind of stolen, for lack of a better term, from the bass fishing world. But now the companies and the manufacturers are really under this walleye thing, and they're they're building baits, you know, that are walleye specific. I'll give you one that's kind of a secret, <laughs> maybe a little bit of a secret at least to in my area. It's a Salmo slick shad. Oh. It's yep. It's a little bit of a more subtle paddle tail type bait. Well, I don't care what the reason is. I know this, the walleyes love it. (laughs) And it is because the slick shad is designed as a walleye bait. It comes in a lot of those traditional minnow or perch patterns because walleyes love juvenile perch. It comes in the right colors for our uses as well. When we're talking about pitching for walleye in the shallows, let's talk about the, the weight of the jig head. Are we talking eighth of an ounce, quarter ounce, something else? Well, you know, John, here's the thing. A lot of people think a one sixteenth ounce jig is a crappie jig. You know, it's a small jig, it's a crappie jig. For my shallow jig fishing in the spring, I've caught more walleyes on a one sixteenth ounce pitch to shallow water than any other size. Now, that jig, that sixteenth ounce size is the one that we pitch day in and day out on Big Stone the Lake that I referenced earlier. And that's a body of water where those fish get right up on the shoreline. So that one sixteenth ounce size is one that I use a lot from, say, tight to shore out to five or six feet. And then I go into that eighth ounce size. So the eighth ounce is really the bread and butter day in and day out for most guys. But for me, I'm always going to have some sixteenth. I'm always going to have some eighth. And then if I'm doing a lot of plastic fishing where maybe... I'm, you know, pitching that rage swimmer out and swimming it back, never letting it touch bottom. I might even go to a quarter ounce jig because you can fish that a little bit faster. What I always tell people is you want to fish the jig that is as light as possible, but you got to be able to feel it. And when I say feel it, you got to maintain contact with it. So you know when it hits bottom, you know when it gets bit, you know when something feels different. So, you know, that's kind of my rule of thumb. Eighth ounce is kind of the standard go-to, but I'll, you know, use that 16th and, and some quarters as well. You're listening to America Outdoors Radio. We're talking to Mike Frisch. He is the host of Fishing the Midwest. It's a great television show, and you are getting some great advice on walleye fishing here in terms of using jigs to jig up some of those marble eyes this spring. Mike, we got about a minute left. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about your show? So, John, Fishing the Midwest is actually, we're getting ready to, and this is almost hard for me to say, we're getting ready to um, film our 33rd year of award-winning fishing television shows in the Midwest. Fishing the Midwest started Bob Jensen, who's a Hall of Fame angler from Sheffield, Iowa, founded it back in 1990. Uh, Bob and I worked together oh, about 10 years ago where we had a partnership and now Bob has kind of slid into retirement, a well-deserved retirement, and now I'm doing you know all the hosting. We do three things. We concentrate on top fishing destinations in the Midwest. We show folks ways that they can catch fish day in and day out. These are what I call meat and potatoes techniques. We're not going to do maybe the latest cutting-edge technique, but we're going to do stuff that works day in and day out on most bodies of water. And the third thing that we do is we meet some really neat, interesting folks along the way that have great stories, and we tell some of those stories. We're on Valley Sports North, Valley Sports Midwest, World Fishing Network, Mid-Continent, and the Dakotas and a bunch of network affiliates as well. Well, there you go, folks. If you haven't caught fishing in the Midwest yet, you just heard a whole bunch of reasons to do so. You can find out more about the show and also get some more fishing advice by going to Mike's website. You'll find that at fishingthemidwest.com, fishingthemidwest.com. And if you want to really up your game or just have a, a great 
day of fishing with a TV host that knows his stuff. Mike is also a guide up in western Minnesota. So you can also go to fishingthemidwest.com and book a trip with him through there. Mike, thanks so much for sharing all this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Hey, John, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Stick around. We've got more of the outdoors coming your way. And let's transition out of this segment the same way we came in with a little music from Frank Prenovost and his CD, I Miss Lake Bemidji. Bad-making figurates with musky spinners and lures. Oh, honey, I love you and that's not a lie. Musky guides all tell the truth. This must be the reason why I miss fishing more than I miss you. Come explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give you even more incredible discounts. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special, you'll see an incredible lineup. In fact, right now, it's the bedding sale. 50% off the following. Sheets, a 2-inch mattress topper, sleepwear, blankets, quilts, comforter. I'm Ken Matthews. I'm a big fan of Mike and a real big fan of MyPillow.com. That's where you need to go, by the way. You go to MyPillow.com. You scroll down till you get to the radio listener specials. Then you click on it. That's where you're going to save big when you enter the code Ken. That's my name, Ken. For example, a full body pillow... Regularly priced $117, now only $39.99. Made in America, comfortable, luxurious quality from my friend Mike Lindell at MyPillow.com. Enter promo code KEN. MyPillow.com, promo code KEN. Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstances, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the darkest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true. To provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities, Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. That's huntofalifetime.org. Thank you. 
Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we've actually got good news out of Washington, D.C., where Congress has passed a bill called the Mapland Act. It is on President Biden's desk awaiting his signature, and this is very good news for all of us who love to recreate on our public lands. With us here to tell you more about what the Mapland Act is is John Gale. He's the Conservation Director for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. John, great to have you back on the show. Thank you, John. I'm really happy to be back. Love your show. Well, I'm glad that you do, and that makes you about one of 12 or 13 other people that do, so I'm grateful. Let's talk a little bit about the MAPLAND Act. (laughs) What is this? The MAPLAND Act, that stands for the Modernizing Access to Our Public Lands Act, and so Congress loves to use acronyms for their legislation, and, and this one was cleverly created to refer to MAPS because what it essentially does is direct funding to our federal public land management agencies to modernize and digitize map records for the benefit of anyone that likes to get out and enjoy recreation. And for us, it's hunting and fishing and, and the hunters and anglers that are out there with their Onyx maps on their phones and their GPS units are increasingly relying on digital technologies to know where their legal access are. And there's a lot of easements and things that remain on paper records that we don't know about on our digital mapping devices. And so what this will do is give the resources needed to modernize those maps and old information that hasn't been digitized yet. So they're operating from the best possible information and accessing things as in a legal manner as we're out there enjoying hunting and fishing. And then we also think there's going to be great management benefits from it too, as we have access to greater information, create better management efficiencies so that we're, you know, not only potentially getting access to new lands we didn't know we had access to already, we're finding ways to ensure that the the future management of those lands is done in in a really economical way. What we're talking about here is the Bureau of Land Management, the U.S. Forest Service, National Park Service. They're all going to modernize and digitize the, the existing information they have. How often does this generally happen? I've got some BLM maps in my counter right here. I think they're from the 1990s. Yeah, map data going way further back than that. And it just has never been consolidated in one place and made publicly available so unless you're a map geek like you and I going down to the you know Forest Service office and digging through the old drawers and maybe finding out some, some old gems that actually mark some of these easements and resources, you don't know about them. And so this bill will create the funding necessary to establish geospatial files that include records for those things in a digitized way so that people have a better understanding of year-round closures and seasonal closures on roads and trails that are usually put in place for ungulates like elk and deer so that they're not being disturbed during sensitive time periods and road-specific restrictions by vehicle type and boundaries where rules and prohibitions apply to hunting and shooting and things like that. So it'll just give the public a more informed way of approaching our public lands and not all the great outdoor recreation we love. So the funding is step one, obviously. Then you actually have to go about doing it. When do you expect we'll actually see the results of this funding come to fruition in terms of us being able to access this information? That's a good question. The wheels of government generally turn relatively slowly. And while this bill will authorize funding to go to those agencies, it will clearly take some time for that funding to actually get to them and for them to build the capacity they need internally to have staff 
you know, physically digitizing these things. So, you know, we're, we're probably a couple of years out from actually seeing the fruits of this bill play out on our Onyx maps and our GPS devices at home. This Mapland Act was actually passed in a bipartisan fashion, which is refreshing to see. What role did backcountry hunters and anglers play in this? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a lot of credit to our partners over at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. They were uh, the tip of the spear on this one and really helped establish the bill and lead it in the first place. But we work very closely with them and sponsors in both chambers to advance the bill. And so BHA helped review the legislation. We helped build support with other co-sponsors and activated our members and grassroots leaders to uh, send notes and make phone calls to their members of Congress so that our leaders back in Washington, D.C. could see how much support there is back home and establish a real groundswell for something that's very popular and uncontroversial, which is something we don't see every day in Congress. And so I think there was a lot of people really excited to put their names on this. And with it moving out of the Senate just last week, we're expecting President Biden to sign it any day now. And that's an exciting win. And it happened relatively quickly in otherwise slow timeframes in Congress. We were, we were happy to see this move in only a couple of Congresses. Last but not least, speaking of backcountry hunters and anglers, you've got a big event coming up at Fort Missoula in Montana, 12th through the 14th, the annual rendezvous. I expect there's going to be several hundred, if not several thousand people attending again this year. That's right. We're expecting a big, fun event again this year. As you said, May 12th to the 14th in Missoula, Montana, out at Fort Missoula. It's going to be all outdoors. There's going to be hotel options, camping options, campfire stories, fun brew fest, some special events like a field to table dinner, and our, our famous annual wild game cookoff where chapters from all over the United States and Canada showcase their amazing culinary skills and they bring food from their regions and battle for bragging rights and top honors and the coveted Golden Bowl trophy. So something fun and exciting. We hope that uh, everyone will come there. Our business partners and corporate partners from all over the place are going to be there. So if you can make it out, we encourage your listeners and, and you, of course, yourself, John, to come and be there with us. You can find out more by going to our website at backcountryhunters.org. That's backcountryhunters.org to find out more about backcountry hunters and anglers and the rendezvous. I've been to several of them. They are a ton of fun. If you can make it, you're going to really enjoy it. Again, backcountryhunters.org and the rendezvous this year taking place May 12th to the 14th in Missoula, Montana. John, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Appreciate your time. As we mentioned earlier, it is spring turkey hunting season across much of our United States. And if you are looking to get into the sport and want to get a shotgun specifically for it, check out the single shot turkey camo shotgun from Henry Repeating Arms. This is a 12-gauge shotgun. It's got the official National Wild Turkey Federation camo on it. It is rugged. It is reliable. It's got a high-vis sight that'll help you shoot accurate right out of the box, even in low-light conditions. In short, it's the perfect shotgun for going turkey hunting this spring. You can check it out at henryusa.com. Look for a dealer near you. Head on down there and get yourself the single shot turkey camo shotgun from Henry Repeating Arms. And while you're at henryusa.com, don't forget to ask for your free decals and catalog. And now it's time for one of my 
favorite segments of this program. It's record fish time. From the Mississippi Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, we learn a new state record blue catfish has been certified in the Magnolia State. Eugene Crowley was fishing for catfish on April 7th on the Mississippi River near Natchez when he hooked into a 131-pound blue catfish. Crowley said it took him 40 minutes to reel in that catfish and says it is truly a fish of a lifetime. Not only that, but this fish shattered the previous record for blue catfish in Mississippi, which was a 95-pound fish caught in 2009, also caught out of the Mississippi River near Natchez. Oh, and in case you're wondering what Mr. Crowley was using, he caught that monster blue with a rod and reel using Skip Jack Herring for bait. Way to go, Eugene. I suspect that state record is going to stand the test of time for quite some time. Congratulations on your new record. Our New Hampshire listeners tuning in today on WNTK 99.7 out of New London and WVR 1490 in Hanover might be interested in a class the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department is putting on. It's a fly fishing A to Z workshop, a two-day program geared for anglers who want to learn about fly fishing. You'll learn all the basics here from casting to knot tying and even stream ecology before donning waders and hitting the water with your fly rod in hand. All equipment is provided and you don't even need a fishing license to participate. The workshops are happening in Concord on Saturday, May 14th and Sunday the 15th, as well as at Coleman State Park in Stewartstown on June 4th and 5th. If you're interested, you can register online through the Fish and Game website. Just look for the events page. Events like these are being offered in other states, too. Oregon has been hosting several Introduction to Hunting workshops in recent years, and the University of Illinois put on an Introduction to Turkey Hunting workshop last month for adults. It's all part of an effort to get more adults out into the field and on the water, and if you're interested in learning some new skills, do a quick web search online or through your state fish and game agency and see if they have an event for you. It's time to wrap this show up, but I do hope that you have a wonderful Easter weekend, that you get to spend some time with family and spend some time reflecting on the resurrection of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He is risen. He is risen indeed. With that in mind, do take care, God bless, and remember this, it is your country and you're outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it. <laughs>